0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. We're going to continue on in our study on Titus. We're getting to the end of the study. And actually, last week, we broke into the last chapter, chapter 3. And today, we're going to get to verse 2. But uh, we're really going to open the floodgates up in the following week. We may actually just finish it next week. We'll see how that goes. Uh, The Spirit will direct that and how that's supposed to be. But uh, that's kind of the plan. So we're getting to the very end here. Before we get into today's message, let me preface it by saying this. What well, we're going to be covering today, it's one of those topics that you cannot bring to the forefront of your mind enough. You're going to have the day of the light bulb goes off in your head, and you always knew it to be true, but it just will go off, and it will change your whole mentality. When you understand the study of the Word, you know it's not designed that we learn something. We learn something new in the Word. Oh, that's fantastic, and that's it. It's over. I don't need to learn it anymore. I just go about, and I need to press on and learn something else. That is not how God designed His Word. God designed his word through repetition. You go back over and over again. All you need to do is read the Torah. Go through and study the Torah. And what you will find, these primary principles, the ones that God is most concerned about, they're over and over and over again. We see them constantly. You can't forget it. And then if that weren't enough, you don't read the Torah just once. It never ends. This is what we call the Torah cycle. Whether you're on the three-year cycle, the one year, it doesn't matter. You're just redoing it over and over again. What we are going to cover today is one of those concepts and principles that we can't ever let go of. And the reason is, is because it's so easy to fall into this trap. It's so easy to fall into this trap habitually over and just keep going. So this is a concept that we're going to learn today that it's got to be right before us. With that said, let's break into this. Titus chapter 3 verse 1, we'll reread this. This is Paul speaking to Titus, remind them, meaning all these churches that you're going out to, Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work and what? To speak evil of no one. Don't Do it. You know, you think about these things that Paul mentions. As Titus is going out and establishing churches, one of the things that is on the forefront of Paul's mind, his concern as these communities are starting to get established is this. Do not speak evil. Don't fall into this trap. It's what the rabbis call Lashon Hara, literally in English, evil tongue or evil speech. Understand something. The rabbis are terrified. Of Lashon Hara they're terrified of evil speech why because they know what Paul knew they knew the destruction and the capabilities it has on a community this is why Paul is mentioning this and look at what Proverbs 18 most of us have committed this to memory death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit death and life understand this is not hyperbole You'll be missing out on this verse. You will not understand it. You will not appreciate it. Literally, death and life are in the power of your tongue. Though the enemy, he loves to come in and whisper in your ear and say, it doesn't really matter what you say. No one's really, really listening in it, anyways. No one really cares. That's a lie. Because when you speak, you have the power to speak life into somebody and you have the power to speak death over them. You think about that concept radically change your faith it'll change the way you speak entirely talk about a total 180 reversal go right back i mean this is amazing death and life are in the power of the tongue proverbs articulates this so beautifully and give you an example going back to chapter 11 verse 11 we read this by the blessing of the upright the city is exalted i want you to understand what was just said The blessing of the upright. The upright and righteous men are going forth and they are blessing. They are speaking life into the city, into the community. And what is the effect of it? It's exalted. It goes to the highest of heights. It's secure. It's strong. But in opposition to that, we read this. But it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Death and life in the power of the tongue. Think about this. We can speak life into our communities, into our friends, into our families, or we can speak death. But you speak this, no, your words have power. You will bring a city to destruction. You will bring a community to destruction. Understand this reality. This is the reality that Paul knows. He knows this concept is true. And so as Titus is going out, this is at the forefront. He's extremely concerned. Don't let them fall into this. You know, one of the things that Craig just brought it up, interestingly enough, in his last message, that I always tell this little Hasidic tale of a pillow filled with feathers and how this man went out into his community speaking evil of the rabbi and told everyone. And it started to spread and it really started to fester. But when he saw its destruction... He comes back to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I've done a horrible thing. I have done a horrible thing and I am convicted and I am sorry. Whatever it takes, I need to make this right. And the rabbi says, fine, go get a pillow, a feathered pillow. Cut it open and scatter it to the wind. And so he goes and does that. He cuts it open the wind is blowing. He pushes it out and all the feathers, they disappear within moments. He doesn't even see them. He goes back to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I've done as you have asked. Now what? He goes, he shares with him the lesson of the story. He goes, oh, surely I tell you, you can no more make a penance, make amends for what you have done than go out and collect the feathers. Go collect the feathers. And he's I can't. I can't do that. It just shows, the tale shows the power of our tongues, the damage that they can do. I want to take you to Yaakov's epistle, James' epistle. He talks about, in fact, he dedicates a significant portion of his epistle to the tongue. And the way he does it is so beautiful because he articulates it so well. He gives us information about the tongue that we need to have. Especially if we want to appreciate what Paul is commanding here to be done in James chapter 3 verse 2 This is what we read for we all stumble in many things I love how he starts. You know what I love about the apostles when I read that it's so different than talking Christian ease today And talking to Christians where there's this veneer Christianity where we put this nice gloss on the outside It looks beautiful on the inside, but it ain't right on the inside What I like about reading scripture, what I like about the apostles is they just come out, they're raw, they're organic, they wear the heart on their sleeve, they're open, you know who they are. And they say things like, we all stumble in many things. Notice he doesn't start off, but look at how high and pious we are. We're just so righteous. Be more like me. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble, what? In word, in word. He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. You know, what's fascinating about this is the way James explains this. That man's ability to control his entire body is based upon his ability to control his tongue. His tongue. You think about that. You don't stumble in word, you're perfect. What does this tell you about the tongue? I mean, when you read this, it tells you it's very powerful. It's a very powerful force. In fact, the tongue is so powerful, James offers up some analogies to help us appreciate this. And this is what he goes on to say. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Now, this is fascinating because if you've ever seen horses, they're these mammoth animals with brute strength. If you've ever been around people that know horses like we, Shelley DeRozier knows horses, it's interesting to watch her Walk around with the horses. She has great respect for the animal. She knows how these animals are. She respects the strength of this animal. Well, this is so fascinating. Paul's looking at this brute strength, this horse, that if you don't know better, it could be deadly. It could be very, very harmful. But this is what's interesting. Riders put bits in its mouth. This is where Paul is taking you, to the tongue. He's putting the shifting the focus on this horse's tongue. You put just this little bit. And isn't it interesting? The will of the horse submits to its rider all of a sudden. See, because the horse has a spirit, it has a will. Don't put a bit in the mouth. Let it run around. It will do what it wants to do. It will go where it wants to go. This brute strength, this muscle mass until a rider puts a bit in its mouth and then its will is subdued to the rider's will. Fascinating. Now he goes on, gives another analogy. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Just look at ships like the Titanic and other ships that are that size. You look at the sheer size of it in comparison to the little tiny rudder or to the little tiny propellers that are shifting under the water that you can't even see, turning this massive boat. Continue on in verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And I mean, how many times have you seen these pictures of these forests, these massive forest fires, where hundreds, if not thousands, of acres are totally decimated, all because of a spark? I mean, that's that's really amazing. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, cosmos in the Hebrew. What we would say, cosmos. An entire world of iniquity You can lose stronger language here in describing what the tongue is The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body And it sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell Okay, so we learned some things about the tongue Things that Paul knows Number one, it is a world of iniquity Number two it defiles. It has the power to defile the whole body. And if that weren't enough, it has the power to destroy everything in its path and to leave nothing left. Verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is trained and has been trained by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil fool of deadly poison. Okay, so let me get this straight. It's a world of iniquity. It defiles the whole body. Okay, it destroys everything in its path. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And now he tells me no one can tame it. How scary is that? No one can tame the tongue. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And he's absolutely right. These things ought not to be so. But guess what? They be. Right? They be very much. How often do we fall into the trap of evil speech? How often do we defile this temple? And you remember what I said before in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about, do you not know that you're the temple of the living God? And whoever defiles the temple, God will destroy him. Which temple you are. I mean, you think about that statement that our tongue has the ability to defile this temple. Well, what does that mean, total destruction? Interesting little tidbit, getting into rabbinic Judaism The rabbis teach this. Did you know that the rabbis teach that the reason for the destruction of the temple in 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed the temple, do you know why they say that happened? Look it up in the Babylonian Talmud. Lashon hara. It's what they attribute the destruction of the temple to. So you understand the rabbis, they have a deep respect when you start talking about the tongue. The reality, they know What scripture says they know the effects of it even to the point that they now say the destruction of the temple happened Because of the tongue With that, I want to take you to matthew 12 Yeshua has something to add here again vitally important in understanding and appreciating the tongue specifically How it functions and this is this is important. We read this in matthew 1234 Brood of vipers responding to the heretics that were actually accusing him for casting out demons by the ruler of demons brood of vipers how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks interesting out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks this tells us something about the tongue that it is not in and of itself alone it is connected to another organ, if you will, a direct connection, and that is the heart. In other words, the tongue is the formal representative to speak on behalf of the heart. Think about it. The things that your heart feels, the emotions, the thoughts, all of these things are made manifest by its representative, by the tongue. The tongue will bring these things to fruition will so that we know What's in somebody's heart? And if the mouth boasts wicked things, what does that tell you about that person's heart? If I, if a mouth boasts truth, righteousness, if a mouth goes out to heal others to give them encouragement and love, what does it tell you about their heart? It tells you a lot. The tongue is the window. It's the window to the heart. Going to verse 35, he continues to say this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Verse 36, but I say to you that for every idle word, in other words, careless, careless word, men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. That is terrifying, especially since they've put these statistics together and they look at the average of how how many words the average person in his lifetime speaks. It's over half a billion. Think about that. Put that in context. You know, during our lifetime, we will speak over half a billion words and all of them are going to be laid out before us in judgment. And it's kind of funny. Maybe I shouldn't mention it but I will. But in the statistics, they were getting into looking at, the dividing it between male and female and looking at how many words females speak in comparison to men. It was just really ironic. They say roughly per day, women are speaking roughly 20,000 words. Wow. 20,000 words compared to men who speak 7,000. The moral of the story, pray for the women. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Little lightheartedness. Believe me, women, on the day of judgment, men will be groveling. I promise you that. Going to Psalms 34, verse 12. I didn't put that study together. Okay? Who is the man who desires life? desires life. This is where you get the term hafetz Chaim, okay? The Chaim this hafetz. Is, this is where it comes in. And that, that's a book, if you're not familiar, it's also now considered, you know, applied to a rabbi. But the book is all about Lashon Hara. This is where it stems from, if you will. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Oh, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now this is king david in his wisdom infinite wisdom. Do we love life? Do we want to see a long life? Do we want prosperity and health to come upon us? Keep your tongue from evil It's an unruly evil And we just got to recognize that you'd be shocked to know we're not even Touching the surface in regard to today regard to what the bible has to say about the tongue It's on the forefront If we want to be blessed in what we do Take heed. Or use your tongue as an instrument of death and find out what happens. Now, I want to take you to his son, Solomon. He had the same wisdom that his father had in this manner. Look at what he says in Proverbs 13:3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Think about that. We need to guard it. We need to guard the words that we say. And I can be the first to tell you, have I been perfect in this or anywhere near that? No. This is why we need scripture to strike fear into our hearts. This is why we need to do this because no man has tamed the tongue. No man has come out. There is one. His name is Yeshua. But other than that, no man has managed to do it. Now, having said that, I want to give you a real-life example of someone falling into the trap of evil speech of Lashon Hara. And this one is a really good example because what you're going to see here is how easy it is and how there are going to be times that you feel justified to say what you have said, but yet it is evil speech. And so, I want to take you here. I want to go to Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. And this is what we read. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. To really appreciate this, we we need to understand the context. Since we're going to break this down a little bit. And I highlighted their names for a reason. Look at these people that are mentioned here. Aharon, Aaron. Cohen, Gadol. The anointed of God most high to make intercession for the people to keep peace between God and the people to be that connection of intimacy. It was through his service, which God ordained that would continue this intimate relationship with Israel. This is who Aharon is. Who is Miriam? She's a prophet, prophetess, whatever you want to say. She is a prophet of God. Prophets are what? They're anointed. The two people mentioned here are anointed. The Ruach HaKodesh, they are anointed, okay? With that context. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moshe. Now, there's something else here that I want to talk about, and it's really the construct, and I didn't put it up here, but the construct of the Hebrew. Normally, you get into this pattern, you see this natural ebb and flow in the Torah of the structure of Hebrew. And it's, you know, via Vayadabur Adonai El Moshe, Okay, that type of thing. We see this typically. That's how your Torah portions start out. This is different. It's not via debur. It's de debur. And scholars talk about this, that it stops you dead in your tracks. Why? Because it's in the feminine. In other words, you read this in the Hebrew, it implicates Miriam as being heading this up, heading this little coup d'etat, if you will, this mutiny against Moses, and the rabbis also talk about this. This is very interesting. Notice the order of the names that are mentioned; that it is not a coincidence. It is Miriam first, and then it is Aaron. And it's not vayadibur; it's bur It's in the feminine. Okay. Now this is going to be this is going to mean more as we get to the end of the story. All right. So Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moshe because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. The woman in, you're talking about is Zipporah. Now, again, context. Why all of a sudden is this a problem? They've been married, Moses has been married to Zipporah long over 20 years, 20 plus years, it could be many more, but for sure that many years. Why all of a sudden is this become a problem now? Is this a personality issue that Miriam and uh, zipporah are having with each other then miriam developed this what has happened understanding what has happened again vital this is vital for appreciating the reality and how easy it is to fall into to lashon hurrah and so i'm going to show you context 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 all we need to do is figure out what is going on here let's go to the previous chapter and this is what we read in, in Numbers 11, 4. Now, the mixed multitude, foreigners, Gentiles, they're not of Israel, okay? Mixed multitude who were among them, meaning Israel, yielded to intense craving. And so here, this mixed multitude, they come out from Egypt with Israel, and they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they're starting to yield to craving, the lust of their flesh. They start to do something, They turn their faces back towards Egypt like Lot's wife turned back to Sodom. They start looking back and they start remembering all the good food that they had to eat. The melons, the leeks, the meat. What did this do among Israel, among the children of Israel? Well, this is what it did. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? So these foreigners, these Gentiles, dissatisfied, discouraged, discontent with what they had. It affected Israel. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we just got out of Pesach, right? What do we learn in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and Galatians 5? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Evil company corrupts good habits. 1 Corinthians 15. One sinner destroys much good. We could go on. All of these things. They're living it. They are of experience. This little leaven has leavened the whole lump and has spread into Israel. And because of their actions, Israel starts to fall into complaining. They start to fall into the lust of the flesh. How does the Lord respond to that? Not well. He hears this. He gets angry. Okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. Not one day, not two days, not three. I'll give you meat for 30 days till it's coming out of your nose. And that's literally what the text says. This is how angry the Lord is. So they get their meat, they start to eat it, and this is what happens. But while the meat was still in their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Do you want to know what happened? This is what happened. The foreigners infected Israel... With complaining with leaven and Israel paid a dear price for that they paid a dear price so when we read numbers 12 1, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman she is a foreigner look at what just happened this is a serious problem this is why they're falling into it and think about this they look at the foreigners and affected this is time for ethnic cleansing if you will we need to separate from them. They're trying to destroy us. God's anger has come out against us. To Miriam and Aaron, it makes perfect sense to speak against Moses in this capacity, in this context. Moving on to verse two, look at how this continues. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moshe? Has he not spoken through us also? Wow. Is that true? Yes, The Lord spoke to Miriam was a prophetess. I mean, go back and read the Exodus as they get across the thing. She was the one that led the women out. She led them out singing. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. The women followed her in song. Yes, the Lord has spoken through her. Has the Lord spoken through Aharon? Go read the Exodus story. Yes, yes. He was the mouthpiece. Was he not? Was that not why he was sent to Moshe? Has the Lord not spoken through them? The answer to that is absolutely. And it's interesting. They start to shift the focus where? To them. They start to shift it. Look at what the Lord has done through us. And by elevating themselves, they reduce Moses. This is what happens. And so this is the context of how they fell into Lashon and The point of looking at this story is that it gives you the understanding that it's much more deceptive. We think we're so witty and we think we're so smart and we think we know so much about the scripture without having the fear of God and the reality of knowing the greatest of the greats have been taken down. Solomon, David, Aaron. But we forget these things because we're so great and they don't know what we know. You see how crazy this sounds when you say it out loud? Think it in your heart. It kind of sits better because it makes us sleep well at night. Miriam and Aaron, they believe they're justified in this thought process. Now, continuing on, we continue on in the story, verse 3. Now, the man Moses was very humble. Isn't that fascinating? The first thing the commentator does in the Torah goes to the character of Moses, the man who is being spoken evil of. He was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moshe, Aharon, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. You ever, <laughs> My kids know when I come out and say, get over here. Come here now. They know it's not good. We heard this when we were kids, and our fathers would say that when they called the kids. There's trouble. And this is exactly what the father has done. He has called him, come here before me now. And moving on to verse five, this is what we read. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aharon and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moshe. He is faithful in all my house. I speak to him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why were you not afraid? The answer, you want to know the answer? The answer to that is because they were blinded by their own chutzpah. They were. They began to look at themselves and what the Lord had done through them. And they were consumed. They couldn't let it go. They were consumed by their interpretation of the situation that it was right. Their idea, their course of action should be implemented. But the problem is, is it was at the expense of Moses' character. Therefore, through this boldness... They speak against Moshe. But now that the Lord himself has shed light on the situation, Miriam and Aaron, they're about to see just how grave an error they had made. And this is what we read in Numbers 12, 9. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aharon turned toward Miriam and there she was, a leper. This was the fact. So the Lord plagues Miriam with leprosy. And it's interesting, Aaron's not plagued. Did you notice that? See, this is going back to why I was even spending time talking about that construct of the Hebrew, vete de It indicates, it implicates Miriam was leading out. Not that Aaron was innocent because he was complicit, but she was leading it out. So the Lord plagues Miriam with leprosy because of, of what she said. You think about this. And I, I ju- you just look at the story, the leprosy, it's a result of speech. And that's why it's funny that Lashon Hara is actually called leprosy of the mouth. That's what it's called, leprosy of the mouth. Now, when we look at this story, we learn a lot about evil speech. Number one, it's easy to fall into, more than you think, more than people give it credit for. Number two, You just look at this. The Lord hears every word that we say. We forget that. How many times do we forget that he is in the room when we're just talking with one other person? I mean, I've forgotten it. I'll be the first to tell you, I'd be a liar. I wish my words were always tried and true and perfect. The third thing we learn here is leprosy of the mouth will separate you from God you understand you keep that on the forefront of your mind it will put your sword in its sheath your tongue will be in its sheath when you realize what just happened in here notice the lord departs and she gets leprosy sin according to isaiah 59 will separate you from god and do you know something about lepers this is very significant what miriam was given and plagued by by the lord the lepers miriam they're to be cast out of the presence of the lord They're to be cast out of the camp. And we read this right within the Torah. Numbers 5.2, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper. Why? Because God dwelt among his people. You could not have the unclean sitting in the camp. You have to get everything that is unclean out of the camp. You know what a leper has to do when they are actually identified with leprosy? You know, what we just read. Let's go back here. Notice... Aharon turned toward Miriam And there she was a leopard I want to be very clear on that. that That's not just some just little tidbit There's a very significant component here Being shared with us It is the priest, the kohenim, That declare people to have leprosy Do you understand within the Torah? It has to be the priest It's not any other man They have to go to the priest And it is the kohenim that declare them You have leprosy You're unclean This is exactly what just happened here And so the person themselves has to do this unclean, unclean. Cover their hand and their mouth and pronounce that they are unclean. And then what happens? They get cast out to dwell alone or with the other unclean, with the other lepers. This is the reality. And this is what we need to understand it separates us from the Lord. Now I want to build upon this story in Numbers 12 because there's a common thread between this story and another story that morphs into a third. And that'll make sense in a second. But in 2 Chronicles, we find a story about King Uzziah. And something you need to know, again, context, about this King Uzziah, just like Miriam, just like Aaron, King Uzziah was righteous. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Okay? Not just that, God prospered him. He became elevated to the highest of heights. His fame, according to scripture, went out to the ends of the earth. He became great. What happened? Well, let's take a look. In 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16, we read, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. You understand? This is when errors can happen. This is when pride creeps in. The tongue moves because of pride. We do things, certain things, because of pride without fear. And here's this man, his heart is lifted up. Make no mistake, you go back to Aaron and Miriam, and Miriam acting, their hearts are lifted up. They were lifted up against Moshe. His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Something only the Kohanim could do. Isn't that interesting? You just overstep your bounds. That's what pride will do, this issue of the heart, which directly connected to the tongue, to its representative. The issue of the heart. Moving on to verse 17. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. Verse 18. And they withstood King Uzziah, And said to him, it is not for you, Uziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the Kohanim, the sons of Aharon, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You have no honor from the Lord God. Moving on to verse 19. Then Uziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. Now, How does this tie in? Well, it's interesting. Uzziah went on to die as a leper, and I want to jump ahead now to Isaiah 6, a story we've covered in this series. You remember reading this? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. Now, going back to the story, looking at the context, he has seen Yeshua in his glory. It is awesome. The angels are speaking. It is earthquake. It is thundering. It is shaking heaven. He has totally lost himself in the moment. And there's one thing he hones in on. He doesn't say, Oh, my eyes, they've wandered. My hands have done things they shouldn't have done. My feet have brought me to places I shouldn't have gone. He goes to one thing, the tongue. I am a man of unclean lips. And if that is enough, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You want to talk about a world of iniquity. You want to talk about an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The mouth is it. The tongue is it. And if we are honest with ourselves what can we say more than what Isaiah had said? That we are men and women of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There is good news here though, which is why I saved this for last, which is why this morphed this way. As we continue in verse six, we read this. Then one of the Seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. What an amazing moment. Again, didn't bring the coal to his hands, didn't put it, place it on his eyes, didn't place it on his feet. He touched his lips. His tongue was purified. His sin was removed. And did you notice this? For this to come about, Isaiah had to have something. Confession confession he had to have this humble heart to come and confess your glory lord i have seen and i am a man of unclean lips the first thing that comes out of isaiah's mouth he is confessing that is powerful that is a powerful deal and what happened the lord forgave him there's forgiveness here the same can be for us if we will do as isaiah did nicole can touch your lips atonement can be made despite falling into the trap, who knows how many times. Who can count? Who can count that high? You look at this, it wasn't just Isaiah that received this beautiful mercy, this beautiful forgiveness. Miriam also did. Going back to Numbers 12, look at how the story ends. And Numbers 12, 13, so Moshe cried out to the Lord. Now here's what's interesting. As she's sitting there stricken with leprosy, Aaron cries out to Moshe and says, Moses, don't lay this sin upon us. Isn't that interesting? Because Yeshua, you got to tie this in. Yeshua is the prophet like unto Moses. Here you have the Kohen Gadol, the most highly decorated man in all of Israel, begging Moses, whom he sinned against for mercy. Every time we have opened our mouth and spoken evil, It's not just this person we have spoken evil against. It's Yeshua. Think about it. And so here, how does Moses react to it? Moses cries out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. What an awesome intercessor. This is the kind of guy you want on your side. Then the Lord said to Moshe, if her father but had spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp. How long? seven days that is the pain, the purification time of a leper was seven days so shut her out of the camp and afterward she may be received again so miriam was shot out of the camp seven days and the people and i love this did not journey till miriam was brought in again We look at the horrifying aspects of falling into sin which every one of us have done and foolishly speaking evil of one another which we should never have done. But how can you cover that story without hope? How can you cover that story without talking about the reality? There is forgiveness if we're willing to humble ourselves before the living God. And it's so powerful. I think of this. You think of what Miriam did, that she was the one that was cast out of the camp. Israel did not move. You have over 1 million people waiting for one person to go through her purification. And I think about this. It's mind-blowing to say, this is why when we read Matthew 18, there's more rejoicing. He leaves 99 sheep to go get the one lost sheep. And he rejoices over that one lost sheep more than all 99. And you just think about what Miriam did and how angry with the Lord is. But there is awesome forgiveness. And she was so loved despite all of this. Despite when we fail, and we have failed countless times, this is how much the Lord loves you. The entire camp doesn't move until one person is brought back in. How awesome is that? We're going to move to our testimony.
1: Shabbat shalom, everybody. Uh, we're pleased to be up here. This is Lori, my beautiful bride, Jeff. We're here just to give our testimony. And- Hopefully, it is an encouragement to those people, not only maybe in the congregation, but also people out in live stream land. You know, when we went through um, what we've gone through with our walk with the Lord, we went through it together. Um, Everything that we have done, you know, as husband and wife, we've done together. And it it really has brought us a lot closer, and uh, really God has done really a unique thing in it. And we first of all want to give yod you know, our Elohim, the glory and the praise for all of this. Because without him, we really, we're nothing. So we just want to be used by him. We want to be an encouragement to others out there. So I, I believe that that's going to be the case today. So I'm going to hand the mic over to Lori because I think I've used my 7,000 words. Lori's going to use her 20.
2: Great. Thank you. So, I just wanted to kind of tell you our background a little bit. Um, Like Jeff and I, Jeff said, we've done everything together. Um, We started out, we got married um, almost 41 years ago, and we started out, we both grew up in a Lutheran church, which was awesome, and then we got married, and we were in a little Lutheran church for two years, and we loved it, but we just were hungry that there was something more. So we went to a Baptist church, and we thought that was amazing. We thought we had arrived. We loved it. We were there for two years, and we were getting antsy. We were getting hungry. So we had been praying and asking the Lord where we should go, and he had told us, you know, we had heard about this certain church three times in one month. So we thought, hmm, we should check that out. So we ended up going to this church. Um, It was a a charismatic mega church in the Twin Cities here. We went there 25 years. And we, when we got to that church, we thought we had arrived. I mean, we <laughs> loved it. We, we got there, and it's like we heard the angels singing. It was amazing. And we, like I said, we were in ministry there. Um, we served. We loved it. We had a, um, a lot of friends, and we, we, that was our life. I mean, we served, we were in ministry, we, we wanted our kids to be brought up there, they went to a Christian school there, and um, we really were happy, and very content. My brother, which um, I know you're watching, Daryl, so we love you, Daryl and Carla, and um, so for about seven years, my brother and his wife had been talking to us about Torah, and um, we were like that's cool, you know, I'm glad you're doing that, but we're happy, we, we, don't, you know, we don't need that, and so uh, thank God they did not give up on us, because had they did, I, I mean, obviously God would have another way, but the tenacity and the love that they shared for us was amazing, so they dripped on us, and dripped on us, and dripped on us for seven years, and the whole time, kind of like, talk to the hand, that's awesome, but we're good. So we started to get hungry again. We were in church and we would just, we loved it, but there was something missing. And we, you know, we go to church, we ministered, and we just said, you know, this has got to be a red flag for us because we just knew there was something else, but we didn't know what something else was. Uh, Never connected the dots that it may be Torah. We were not looking for Torah. We didn't want Torah. We didn't want anything about it. So we started, we thought, let's just start looking for other churches. So we went, and we went from church to church to church to church. And it just, it it wasn't it. And I was telling my brother, I said, you know, we're looking at different churches. And and finally, what he said to me, it was like, it hit me between the eyes. And it was uh, the straw that literally broke the camel's back for for me. And then I, I shared it with Jeff. He said, you know... He goes, You can go from church to church to church, but at the end of the day, you'll still be on the wrong side of the fence. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know. And that it was like Selah. That was, you know, <laughs> like, wow. So um, we're like, Okay. Well, just the whole timing thing, it, it, I, the whole timing thing, Daryl and Carla came to live with us last year. And unbeknownst to us I mean everything was so set up before the foundation of the world that God knew our steps and where we'd be so they came and stayed with us in June last June Jeff had had um, a, knee, a bilateral knee surgery in August and Jeff had taken two months off to be at home to recover I took two months off to be his coach and um, so while we were um, staying home, Daryl and Carla, my brother and his wife, had stayed with us for two months. Well, longer than two months, but in that two months' time, they said, You know, just check this church out. And we're like, Okay. Uh, l- let me just back up one minute. Last year at Sukkot, they invited us. Uh, they A year ago, they had been visiting here, and they said, Come uh, to Sukkot. And we're like, Oh, you know, we really we don't really want to go to Sukkot. And they're like, Just come for dinner. So we said, okay, we'll come for dinner, and then we get there, and he said, oh, by the way, we invited our pastor and his wife and and their four kids, and they're just like, okay, you know. So we were there, we met Pastor Daniel, and uh, I think I went through my 20,000 words that night. (laughs) I I drilled Daniel and drilled Daniel, asked him all these questions, and and that did start a spark, but we didn't come in until about last June, we came here and uh, we came to church expecting that it would be the same experience that we had in our other church, that the angels would be singing and it would be just like, the, the and, you know, an amazing experience. And it was an amazing experience, but we came here and it was such a paradigm shift for us. I mean, we came from a mega church with 10,000 people to a, you know, a small congregation that's growing a lot in the last year, but we are just like, you know, singing all this Hebrew and the Shema, and we're just like, oh, this is so weird. Um, That it was just, but our spirits were drawn, we were drawn to Daniel's preaching and the truth of Torah. And we sat on the edge of our seats and we're like, oh my gosh, we've never heard, we've never heard this before. All the years, you know, we'd been in the church, we had never heard it. So we thought, you know, it's weird, but we'll come back and we'll try it again. So we came back thinking it's going to be, you know, amazing, and it was amazing. But we left thinking, I don't know. The second time, we're just like, I don't know, but we love the preaching. So we came back a third and a fourth time. About the fourth time, we just said, this is this is home. This is where we need to be planted. And in that, and in, in this, we've been here almost a year. I, I can't tell you how much we've learned how much we our eyes are being opened i mean how about things that we never realized were true that we're learning is truth and i thank god for our family that never gave up on us that continued the love in this community in this congregation this is the real deal you know i just i'm so grateful and so thankful for my family for my church family without you guys and without yeshua we would not, you know, we would not be here. We, who knows where we'd be. So uh, we just give all the glory to Yeshua and everything He's doing. And and I just encourage anybody out there, you know, my our, you know, our, our last final words is that if you're searching, if you're looking, you know, trust the process. It's a it's a process. You know, Hebrew is not something that you learn and Torah overnight, and. Let the Lord show you why he's bringing you here. And just be open to the Ruach, bringing you here. There's a reason, there's a plan and a purpose and a destiny. So with that, uh, thank you for letting us share Shabbat Shalom.
1: One thing I just want to uh, just say real quickly, too, is that, you know, one of the songs that we sang today, it was uh, said, uh, Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins away, and one day he's coming for a glorious bride. That is the truth. And the truth out there is, is that there may be some of you out there, maybe they are still in the congregation or out there watching, that wants to know who my issue my, my is. And if you want to make the Lord your savior, please feel free to call Corner Fringe Ministries and there will be somebody who will be glad to assist you with that, um, that life-changing event. I asked
3: Jeff and Lori if they would be willing to share today, and I just want to throw this out there. I don't necessarily want to ask, but if you guys have a, something that the Lord has put on your heart that you want to share with the community, it's not, it's not for your own elevation, but it's to glorify His name. And that's, we need, just need to set that precedent and be reminded that it's not about what we're saying. It's about testifying of His goodness. That's the whole point of this time. But I, I, asked, I did ask them to come up because we see them every week welcoming us into this sanctuary to come into a place set apart, to connect, and to worship, to fellowship. And so I wanted them to just share with you a bit of their journey, and how after 41 years of marriage, hallelujah, um, they, hand in hand, step by step, have been going through this process of sanctification, of sending their mind, and their hearts, and their lives uh, into the palm of the Father's hand. And this is where he has them. And so that, that's a powerful testimony, and, and, um, and I want to get into the habit, anyone from our community who comes up here to share a testimony, we want to pray, and Heavenly Father, we thank you for moving and working, and when anyone in this community stands up to testify of their life, of the grace and the mercy that you've shown them, and Father, they share that with this community, it should cause each one of us to say, Hallelujah, praise your name, Lord Yeshua. And we can all empathize uh, and relate. We, we all have stories and testimonies of your great name and how you have called us out of darkness and in, into your marvelous light, how you have literally drawn us to yourself. You've pulled us out of situations, let us hand in hand out of situations that were painful and hard and difficult. We have these stories, uh, and we want to proclaim them again for your glory. I thank you for Jeff and Lori. I thank you for uh, their desire to be obedient to you. And after seven years of dripping, and sometimes maybe it was a shower from Carla and Daryl, but Father, they did step back, soften their hearts, and ask you where you wanted them to be. And I thank you for hearts that were willing to do that. And Father, we just pray that you continue to unite them in marriage and serving you at Corner Fringe Ministries and in your kingdom, I mean, wherever, wherever you take them. But, Father, thank you for their place here. And, Father, this is a, a couple that is real. They just want they just want to be used by you, and uh, and we just ask that you continue to use them here. And, Father, we also thank you for Leah and her testimony, and we just lift her up to you. Father, thank you for her safety Uh, through that car accident and father for just the joy that she brings to each one of us as she's glorifying your name through every worship service and dedicating herself to your kingdom and she was revealed on that day that uh the uh, the day of the accident that she's here to worship you and to glorify your name that's why she exists and what a powerful testimony that was so father thank you for the special time uh in this community where we can share what you're doing and we just give you praise. In your name, Yeshua, we ask these things.
0: Again, another powerful lesson. With every testimony, look for the moral, the lesson. In Jeff and Lori's case, there's a powerful lesson. With If you guys haven't met Daryl and Carla, uh, they are beyond precious. They're amazing. There's something going on with that family that is spectacular. I'm just going to tell you that right now. But the lesson here is, is do not give up. Seven years of just taking the time, but Darren, Carla—they're a different kind. They lead by example, and they love, and they're encouraging, and it's a different perspective versus going in and say, "Well, if you're not going to listen to me, you're an idiot. You don't know tar- You know I'm not going. I can't help you. You know we get in the mentality just because people don't listen to us. It's not about us. We want them to hear the truth of God's word. Well, that truth in the ruach moves one way. It moves in love." That's how it moves, and you see the effects of it. And so the enemy is going to come in to disrupt that process. This process that is established, you better be looking for it. He's going to come in to disrupt that. And so we want to, love always removes the artillery of the enemy. Amen.